Chip, you forgot to tell me to turn this on. I was in my own little world. Romans 13, 1 through 7 will introduce us to our, in a general way, to our study. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power but God. And the powers that be are ordained by Him. They're instituted, set up, that's what He's saying, by God. Whosoever therefore, in view of this fact, whosoever therefore resisteth the power, actually resisteth the ordinance of God. God expects you to obey the higher powers. That's what it's saying. Because whoever resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same, of the power. For he, God, is a minister, excuse me, for he is the minister of God to thee for good. And so these higher powers are ministers of God. They do God's bidding. Now you're not going to find the government out here preaching to you. But they do God's bidding as He decides what goes on amongst men and in these kingdoms. And that's what we're going to see in this study. For He is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, you need to be afraid, it says. For He beareth not the sword in vain. Uh, for He is a minister of God. He ministers to God with that sword. He's a revenger ex who executes wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore, in other words, in view of this, ye must needs be subject not only for wrath that can come from this government by the order of God, but also for conscience' sake. For, for this cause pay ye tribute also. For they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. And so just like the elders and the preachers are ministers under the congregation, so is the government ordained by God and instituted by God, set up by God to be this very thing. They're God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing of ruling uh, taking care of the evil and things in the government. God is, the government is an instrument that God uses. We're going to see that he sets up all these governments. And never, never one been set up. God didn't do it. We lose sight of that because we don't see what goes on behind the curtain on the stage of life. But we're going to go into the Bible, and particularly the Old Testament this evening, and we're going to see God's hand of action behind the curtain as he calls the shots for these nations, the rise and fall of nations, and the use of these nations. All right? Verse 7. Render, therefore, to all their dues. So <clears throat> paying tribute to the government, you're paying uh, uh, their God's ministers. God set them up. He has a purpose for them. And so we shouldn't be in rebellion against the government. Pay your taxes. Pay your part. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Because God set him up. And God is using him as a minister to thee for good. Therefore render unto him his dues. Tribute to whom tribute is due. Custom to whom custom. Fear to whom fear Honor to whom honor. There's an interesting thing about King David. 
you've read enough in the Old Testament to know that uh, King Saul, uh, when David was uh, went out against Goliath, David raised jealousy in King Saul, and je- and that jealousy caused King Saul every now and then to try to kill David. He just up and throw a javelin at him, uh, trying to kill him, and David was on the lookout for it. And finally, Saul had the army of Israel out hunting for David. And yet, David would not raise his hand against the king, as wicked as King Saul was. You know why? Because he was anointed by God and because David understood what we just read. They're ministering servants to God. They're not on their own. America isn't on its own just going wherever it wants to go and making policies whatever they want to make. God is directing traffic in these nations. And what there's things that he allows, there's things that he commissions. Can he take the bad and use it for good? Yes, he can. Can he spank you as people of the nation through a, a, a wicked law? Yeah. You can lose your freedoms, can't you? Because what's the cost of freedom? Eternal vigilance. And if you don't be eternally vigilant, vigil, you'll lose your freedoms and God will allow it. He'll allow the government to deny you your second and your first amendments if that's how lazy people are in America, that they don't even stand up for them. If you stand up for them, you're doing the right thing. The government's not going to hinder you on that. But we have a misconception about governments. We think that they're just with wicked people running the nation. They're wicked people, all right. And we'll see very few of them in heaven, I'm sure. Because even Paul said the church is made up of not many wise men, not many mighty, not many noble are called by the gospel of Christ. 1 Corinthians 1. All right, but... uh, We've got to see God's hand in ruling these nations. We've got to see that he has purpose in it. And Romans 13 seems like a good place to start. Right there. Now, as we go into the Old Testament, we're going to go in and study it based on two principles. And here they are. We looked at them last week. Number one, the immutability of God. The fact that God does not change. Now what does that tell you? That tells you that however God reacted to certain situations in the Old Testament, historically, uh, politically, or whatever there was, God will react the same today if, he's, if those uh, uh, conditions exist as they did before because of his immutability. And so whatever forces provoke God in ages past to take either benevolent or punitive action toward man, they will, when reproduced today, provoke the same type of divine response because God does not change. And if you're going to stand in this wicked world, the one thing you must see is God's overruling sovereignty over man. And the purpose for which he made this globe and this cosmos in the first place. Now our method of study will follow uh, a fourfold outline. And I was going to write it on the board, but it's just too much writing and I'm tired. So <laughs> uh, we'll go through this outline uh, as we study. But let me give it to you in general. Number one, here's the methodology that we'll study will follow. Number one, God's use of the nations, both ancient and modern. That's where we're starting tonight. We'll deal with the fact of it. Now, number two, God's moral government. We're going to look at that and the necessity of it. Number three, God's providential overruling. Uh, and there's the purpose of it. 
And then lastly, number four, Christ's relation to providence and the forces of nature and the need of it. That's the way we'll approach this study, but that's uh, sometime down the road. So let's look at God's use of the nations, ancient and modern. And incidentally, don't expect too much of me because I'm not up here to teach you history in this lesson. We'll mention a few things about history. But what we're wanting to do is be impressed with what God said, at what, uh, how God ruled among the nations. We want the scriptures to impress us as to what they say. Now maybe you've read over them and never paid a whole lot of attention to them, but our focal point is going to be on the scriptures. So it's going to be time consuming and we don't have time to study history uh, in this study. Our objectivity is to see the hand of God in ruling the nations, in setting them up in the first place. So we're going to do a lot of reading. And I want to turn to these passages, many of them which we've used in, in sermonizing up here and in teaching other things. But I want you to open your Bible, and if you've got a pen... And you so desire, I expect, uh, you would uh, expect naturally that you'll underline certain statements that are made. That just, they come off the page to me years ago when I studied it. And I'm sure they'll come off of the page and hit you right upside the head. Because you read over those things and don't see them. All right. I've confused you enough, so we'll go into our study. God the creator and ruler of all nations. We want to look at the fact of God's rulership and his interference into the affairs of men. And such is the clear statements of the scriptures, both Old Testament and New Testament. That's what we're going to be looking at. And so as we go into the Old Testament, look first of all at Daniel, the fourth chapter. I'm going to give you time to get over there. Daniel 4, verse 24 through 26. <coughs> Nebuchadnezzar God has sent him out to eat grass like an ox for seven years until he comes to learn what we'll be learning in this class, that God rules in the affairs of men. He's the one who sets up kings. And let me change, let me uh, bring it up to modernism. He's the one who sets up presidents and rulers today as he set up kings of old. Verse 24 through 26. This is the interpretation, O king. Now Daniel is standing before Nebuchadnezzar and he's interpreting the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had on this occasion. He's going to lose the kingdom until he comes to learn the lesson. And then he'll be restored to the kingdom again. This is the interpretation, O king, and it is the decree of the Most High which is come upon my lord the king, that thou shalt be driven from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and thou shalt be made to eat grass as oxen, and shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over thee, until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdoms of men, and he giveth it to whomsoever he will. And whereas whereas they commanded to leave a stump of the root of the tree, thy kingdom shall be sure unto thee. God assures Nebuchadnezzar, after seven times or seven years, he'll be back into the kingdom again. And after that, thou shalt have known that the heavens do rule. And so he's going to eat grass until he comes to recognize the heavens rule. How much grass have you ate? I've ate quite a bit. 
until I come to realize it. <clears throat> All right, so there's that classic statement made there, and you probably want to underline it. The Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men. And also that next statement there, the heavens do rule. These governments aren't on just just they're on they're flying on their own. God's in control of them. A great object lesson from the prophecy of Daniel is the absolute sovereignty of God in the affairs of men. Daniel prophesied of kingdoms and of their destinies in the hand of all-powerful God. Hence, let all nations for all time know that their destiny rests with God more than with men. So let's go into the book of Psalms a little bit here. Psalms 22 and verse 28. Psalms 22, 28. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he is the governor among the nations. Psalms 46, 8 through 11. 46, 8 through 11. Come and behold the work of the Lord. Uh, what desolations He's made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow. He cutteth the spirit, the spear in, in, uh, in sunder. He, uh, he burneth the chariots in the fire. Be still. In other words, stop and shut up for a minute. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. Because he ruled this earth. What does history tell you about the nations of the past? Well, your history book is nothing but a directory through the cemetery of nations that once were and are no more simply because they stepped over the boundary line. And Paul explained that boundary line in Acts 17 to the Athenian philosophers on Mars Hill. He came by and seen how religious they were. They had uh, uh, tributes, paying tribute to all these gods and to one statue there to the unknown God. And Paul took advantage of that opportunity and said, let me tell you about this unknown God. And he began to reveal about this unknown God. He's the creator of all things. He don't have he doesn't depend on you for nothing. If he was hungry, he wouldn't say anything to you. He owns a whole shooting match. That's the idea. But Paul gets down to the end and he says, God has established bounds and habitations beyond which the nations cannot go. He's drawn a line in the sand. And he allows man his free moral agency to do whatever he pleases as long as it fits into his program of redemption. But when it violates that, when it goes too far, that's when a nation goes into the history book. Like Sodom and Gomorrah. All right, look at Psalm 72, verse 11. serve him. Do they serve him? Well, the sad thing about it is the Christian does not see how God could, how a wicked nation can serve God. But we're going to see it in, in the Old Testament. 
We're going to see how that God uses the wickedness of a nation to correct another nation, and then he brings judgment on that nation that he chose to do that. Now turn to, so the psalmist statements that we just read, it was uh, three of them, uh, of an abiding truth that God rules this world. All right, let's turn to Jeremiah, the 10th chapter, and verse 10. Jeremiah 10, 10. Jehovah is the true God. He is the living God. And and an everlasting King. Now at His wrath, the earth trembleth. Does God have wrath? Yes, He does. Does He kill people? Yes, He does. Somehow we've got off on this idea that God is so good He wouldn't hurt a fly. And He's so weak He he wouldn't know how in the first place because they don't have a flash water. And it's ridiculous the ideas that we get that hinder us in our service to God and our worship of God. His glory is seen in his sovereignty. Alright, so at his wrath the earth trembleth, and the nations are not able to abide his indignation. <clears throat> now turn over in Jeremiah to the 27th chapter and verse 5 27 5 again what we're doing is letting the scriptures impress us with the rulership of God among the nations 27 5 I have made the earth the men and the beasts that are upon the face of the earth. And by my great power and by my outstretched arm, and I gave it unto whom it seemeth right unto me. Now who does he give these kingdoms to? To whoever it seems right to him, not you. Now we have a right to we have a right to vote a president in. And we voted some in that God allowed. Why did he allow them? Because we needed our face rubbed in the doo-doo. We needed to see very clearly where we were going. And he uses kings and their rulership to show that. And then he brings them off their thrones. He's trying, God is trying to bring about a repentance in many ways. And he does it through allowing wicked people to rule. But God still rules and God still makes the choices and says... And I give it unto whom it seemeth right unto me. He didn't ask you what you thought about it, did he? He never does and never will. All right, look at Daniel 2 and verse 21. And you remember enough about Daniel, you probably remember that that chapter deals with a Another, uh, actually, it's the first dream that God sent to him. Uh, uh, the dream about four kingdoms. But I want to bring your attention to verse 21 in regard to God's rule among the nations. Well, let's start in verse 20 and down through 21. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are His, and He changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings, and He setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise. Now, why would He give wisdom to the wise? It's talking like the New Testament does. 
And when you get smart enough, when you get wise enough to know where to turn to get wisdom, there's where you find it with God. So he gives wisdom to the wise. He gives understanding, knowledge to them that have understanding. So if you understand enough to, to uh, go to the assembly, to study God's word, to look into God's word, then you're going to have understanding about politics, about uh, economies, about all facets of the world we live in and have a part in. But isn't it sad that the world counts these things as stupid, ridiculous? They don't even look into them. They're not the wisest being discussed here. You are. Because you're here tonight looking and searching, wanting to know. But notice he says that God changes the times and the seasons. He's not talking about the weather. He's talking about the critical periods of history. God changes the times and the seasons. You remember he sent Judah off into Babylon's captivity? And he spoke about it. He said, I will allure her. God was the one that allured her. He was the one that called Nebuchadnezzar over to take them into captivity because it was her only door of hope. What was God's purpose? Redemption. Redemption. He sent them off into captivity for 70 years for an attitude adjustment. And he said, there she will give answer to me because she's not coming out until she no longer sees me as a hard master but as a loving husband. statement here in Daniel uh, of conviction that was made by a heathen monarch named Nebuchadnezzar, a wicked, wicked monarch. And he made this statement after God had interfered in his life and his kingdom. Look at Daniel 4, verse 34 and 35. Daniel 4, 34 and 35. Oh, incidentally, when you begin reading this chapter 4, you know who's revealing these things? Nebuchadnezzar. And who does he reveal them to? Well, listen to verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, unto all the peoples, nations, and languages, that dwell in all the earth. So what he's fixing to write is addressed to Russia, China, Africa, America, South America, you name it, to all the kingdoms of the earth. So Nebuchadnezzar's making this known. Peace be multiplied unto you. It has seemed good unto me to show the signs and the wonders that the Most High God hath wrought toward me. He ate grass like an ox for seven years till he come to learn God rules the affairs of men. Did you know secular history has recorded that Nebuchadnezzar went crazy for seven years? And his cabinet in the White House or whatever they called it back then, they covered for him. You'd go to visit Nebuchadnezzar and they'd say, well, you can't see him right now because he's out having lunch. He's out with the lunch to munch bunch out in the lower 40 eating grass. Alright, but look here at the 4th chapter verse 34 and 35. And at the end of the days I Nebuchadnezzar lifted up mine eyes unto heaven. Now you're going to see correctly when you look to God, aren't you? Aren't you? He lifted up his eyes to heaven. He's no longer looking at his greed and his, his, uh, his uh, money bins and his authority and rulership. He's looking to heaven. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven 
and mine understanding returned unto me. And doesn't it, doesn't understanding return when you look to heaven? Don't you begun, begin to understand when you look heavenward? That's the idea. And I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? Nobody questions God. He don't answer to the counsels of men. And when he sets his hand of action to do something, and nobody stays it and says, uh uh, no, 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 no. This is his world. Habakkuk 1, verse 5 and 6. Here is going to be a clear statement of God at work raising up a nation in the earth. You want to know where nations come from? God raised them up. You want to know where languages come from? God gave us all the languages of the world. At the Tower of Babel. Did he have purpose in it? Go read it. Alright, so Habakkuk 1, verse 5 and 6. before we read this, God is talking to the prophet about how he's going to use Assyria, namely Nebuchadnezzar and the 70 years to punish his people and bring them back to their right mind again. Where they no longer call him Bala, but they call him Isha, a loving husband rather than a hard master. And so he says, Behold ye among the nations and look and wonder marvelously. And here's why. For I am working a work in your days, which ye will not believe, though it be told you. For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans. Who raises up nations? God does. Who raised this nation? God did. I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation that marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. So they're a very successful enemy, aren't they? They dwell in places that didn't belong to them. They took them. They're a very, as God described them, uh, they march through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. They're, uh, uh, they're a bitter and a hasty nation, and God used them. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their uh, dignity proceed uh, from themselves. So they're a very proud enemy, and God used them against his own people. Look at verse 12. Verse 12 will tell you, if I can find it here, <clears throat> art thou not art thou from ever art not thou from everlasting O Jehovah my God my Holy One we shall not die Jehovah thou shalt uh, O Jehovah thou sh hast ordained him for judgment why did God choose Assyria and raise it up for judgment you suppose God does that today well, we've already seen the immutability of God. He doesn't change. So whatever caused him to react in the Old Testament is when the same thing is duplicated today, it causes God to react the same way. 
And the only way you're going to see it, that hand of God's action, His sovereignty, is by faith. That's the way He chose it for you. He's not out there like a puppet on a string dancing to your liking. That's what the Jews wanted. They hounded Jesus repeatedly. Show us the sign. Show us the sign. Where's the sign? Show us the sign. God had already planned this out. He gave them plenty of signs, didn't he? And Jesus reminded them of that. He said, there will not be a sign given you except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Because as he was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so shall the the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth. They didn't want a sign. They just hounded him in rebellion. And so we shall not die. Jehovah, thou hast ordained him, speaking of this Assyrian government down here from verse 5, thou hast ordained him for judgment, and thou, O rock, hast established him for correction. And so he used Assyria as a man would a a battle axe or a, a switch on his children. And so there was a clear statement of God at work raising up a nation in the earth. And from the New Testament, turn over to Acts the 17th chapter, and let's look at verse 24 through 26. Or verse 24 and 26. The fact is stated by Paul that God made uh, the world and all things therein, He being the Lord of heaven and earth, made of one every nation of men. And so I want you to observe the fact in that verse that God was that God, the God who made the world, he also made every nation of man. Made every one of them. Now the power to rule these nations is now in the hand of Christ the King. Matthew 28, 18. You remember the statement Jesus made? All authority has now been given unto me in heaven and in earth. The word authority designates power because if you have all authority, you got all power. If you got all power, you got all authority, don't you? That's what he's saying. And I like to illustrate it this way because we got fools out here looking for people on other planets. They're determined to try to find somebody living on another planet. Well, you can't find that in Genesis in the creation account because God tells you why. He created the sun, the moon, the stars, and the earth. He tells you the whole gamut. The earth is the focal center of the whole shooting match. And he put man down here to be exercised thereby. As the writer said in Proverbs, it's a sore travail that God has put man to here on the earth to be exercised thereby. You're not down here to do whatever the hell you want to do. That's not your purpose. Now you can make it your purpose, but you're going to butt your head against the wall. You're going to meet that two before of life time and time again. As God tries to wake you up to the reality of why you're even here. And so you have a purpose in this world. Little Johnny, as he grows up, sometimes has to ask himself, why am I here? Why am I here? Just to play marbles? To shoot people in war? What's my purpose? God had a purpose so you wouldn't be here. Genesis says that he breathed in the, in the first chapter, second chapter. God breathed in a man's breath, nostrils, the breath of life, and he became a living soul. Every time a little baby slapped on the butt to catch his breath, and he does in a rush, you know, and a shock, God breathed into him the breath of life. God has given every person born life. That's one reason we don't have a right to take it. Another reason is that you're very special to God. 
Look what he gave to rescue you, his own son. Look at his patience as he's put up with you for years, trying his best with a two-before of life to get your attention. And some of us are hard-headed more than others. Stubborn, rebellious, proud like a peacock. You know, the peacocks ain't the only ones that strut around showing their breasts with all the pretty colors and the See, that's in big bird just spreads their wings, got all the colors. Men are the same way. Look at me. And if you put a badge on one of them and a whole bunch of medals, look at me. Uh, anyway, <laughs> just take that for what it's worth. Acts 17, verse 24. And 26. We just, we just read that one. Oh, did I? Yeah. Oh, okay. Thank you. I've got a eraser up here to kind of keep track of where I'm at in my notes. But I do get lost once in a while. And so the fact stated by Paul that God made the world and all things therein... Uh, he being the Lord of heaven and earth, he made of one every nation of men. Oh, I to, uh, in Matthew 28, 18, the power to rule these nations is now in the hands of Christ the King. In fact, Colossians 1, 18, it, I didn't intend to bring it in, but it says that Christ upholds all things by the word of his power. Now let's apply that. If the Lord did not uphold gravity by the word of his power, you and I would be sucked up that quick out into that black hole. Because he has all authority in heaven and earth. And if there's anyone out there living on them planets, who do they have to answer to? The Lord Jesus Christ. Because where's his authority? In heaven and on earth. The heavens, where the stars are, the planets. For somebody living up there, they answer to God through his Son. Because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by him. And so if there's beings out there on them other planets, and I don't believe there is at all, there's not. Or God would have told us. Well, he did. He told us what those planets are for. What, which? I, I said he did tell us what those planets are for. Well, yeah, for the time exactly. Yeah, I mean, we're not left to doubt about why they're there, but we always like to add our little bit like we knew things that nobody else knows. And man hasn't changed because in Deuteronomy 29, 29, Moses had to explain explicitly to those Jews, as you and I have to have it explained to us, that the secret things belong to God. But the things that are revealed belong unto us that we might learn them and live by them. And so if God hadn't told us it's because we didn't need to know. Because what has he supplied us with? As we mentioned this morning, read 2 Peter 1 verse 3. According as his divine knowledge has given us all things, not some things, not part things, all things that pertain to life, living of life, and godliness. And where do we find those? Well, Peter didn't finish there. He said he's given us all things that pertain to life and to godliness through the knowledge of him that's called us to glory and virtue. So do we have all things? Yeah, we do. Are we ill-equipped? No, we're not. Do we have everything we need? Yes, we do. And like Paul summarized in Romans 8, verse 31, since God is for us, who or what can be against us? And you remember how he closed that chapter. He said, For I am persuaded neither death nor life nor principality nor power nor things present nor things come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God is found in Christ Jesus, our Lord. 
And how was Christ revealed? Through the Word we're studying on Sunday morning. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was revealed. It's been revealed to us. So we have the sufficiency of all we need for life and the godliness. All right. Uh, Revelation 1, 5. It says, Jesus Christ, the ruler of the kings of the earth. Now, how you can just read across that and not even see it, can't you? You can read across it, and because of the blindness of your eyes, because you look out here and you don't see God ruling. I mean, you see this monarch, he's wicked, he's evil. Uh, we just went through Obama. God used that fella. God set him up. God brought him down. And God used him for eight years because we're so stubborn. And have we learned the lesson? No, we're still headed for socialism. And that's what Obama was about. And that's what this new president is about. And we're about to vomit on that fella. I mean, he spent all our money. He's up into the trillions of dollars. And you and I can't even imagine what a trillion dollars is. He spent our children's, children's, children's money way up in history for socialism. There's a lot of things about us that I'm sure we don't understand. Let me throw one at you just to come to mind. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, and they were troubled by false teachers. And these teachers, they came behind Paul with letters of learning. They could show you a, a, a plaque where they went to this college, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Cambridge. They were intelligent preachers. They'd been to school. And so Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said, you suffer fools gladly. And because you do that, suffer with me a little while. He says, if it was a matter of bragging in the flesh, I can outdo them all because I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. And he goes on and on with his record in the flesh. But that's not where boasting is, is it? But on that occasion, he called the Corinthians fools. He said, you suffer fools gladly. And men do. You can let somebody with a three-breasted suit come in here, and right away you're in awe. <laughs> Who's this guy? He's got to be somebody important. And if he flashes a few cards, at FBI cards or uh, cards uh, from college or something, those things seem to impress us. We're easily impressed because, like Paul said, you suffer fools gladly. Suffer with me for a minute. And let me do my bragging like they do. Our time's up. I didn't figure we'd get very far, but we want to look at these scriptures because where's the power in preaching? Hebrews 4.12 The Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. I can get up here and I can lay on you the finesse uh, if I went to college and I didn't. But if I did, I could lay on you the finesse of men. I could speak with the tongues of angels. But where's the power? It's in the Word of God. It starts out in the Gospel, doesn't it? Romans 1.16 I'm not ashamed of the Gospel, for it is what? The power of God and the salvation. Everyone that believeth the Jew first and also the Greek. And preachers forget that. Men of God who teach and preach forget that sometimes. The power is in the Word of God. And so we're going to take our time in this class and we're going to look at each one of these uh, statements that relate to God setting up kingdom nations and why He set them up to use them for a particular purpose like he did Babylon.
and we're going to wade through the Old Testament in those statements and we want the scriptures to impress us because there's where the power is. Power's in the Word of God. It doesn't reside at Harvard, Yale, Princeton, and Cambridge. <laughs> What's been coming out of them places? Even our government has been spitting the nastiness out of their mouth about these colleges. <laughs> because they brought to us socialism, which the evidence of nations around us shows that it destroys. It's never saved anybody. In the long term, after the money's spent, it's gone. You're, you're, you're ruined. Have you been watching the wars, the civil wars over in uh, uh, Italy and places like that that have, exper have uh, experienced this socialism? Yeah, we're not smart enough to see the dangers of it. Yet we do have a few politicians that keep warning us about it. But we're busy, aren't we? We ain't got time for that stuff. I mean, we hardly got time to go listen to God. We will listen a little bit, though. But that preacher better not run over, and I did, one half of a minute, so I'm going to shut up. <laughs> Well, Merle, you threw it in your stand-up comedy, so we're going to let you go. <laughs> He's out eating grass. <laughs> so, we're out having lunch, that was it. Next week, we'll pick up somewhere in there. See, today is still the 26th, isn't it? Yes, sir. It was this morning. <laughs> Let's stand while we sing our closing hymn. When he.